Hey there, listeners. This is E Pluribus Unum. I'm your host, Emily, and I am so glad you're here. It feels like it's been a really long time, and I've missed you. And I know this is one-sided, and I'm speaking into my phone, and I can't see you, but I imagine you when I'm talking, because I think of this podcast as a conversation, a conversation about many things, about what we can all work on to become better people, better friends, better neighbors, better co-workers, a conversation about what conservatives think and why we're not horrible people, a conversation about Torah and how to connect it to our daily lives. It's an ongoing conversation on a variety of topics. And even though it may seem one-sided, because I'm the only one whose voice you get to hear, in fact, you can join the conversation. I am on Instagram, Facebook, and Parlor at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. And I'm also on Locals if you search E Pluribus Unum Podcast. And I'm really trying to start a community there where we can have conversations. If you have questions about anything I've talked about, if you have a topic you like me to cover, anything like that, I would love to have you really join this conversation, make it more of a back and forth. So find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Parlor or Locals. And also, when you have a chance, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and a review. It helps me. I don't know that it helps you. It mostly helps me, but I appreciate it, truly. Anyway, it is April already. Let's pause a moment and take that in. It is April. It always seems from New Year's to like April or May. Suddenly you think, wow, how is it already this time of year? And then once it gets to July or August, you feel firmly in whatever calendar year. But for the first few months, don't you have to keep on reminding yourself, we're in 2021, it's a new year, and it feels like New Year's just happened, but it didn't, it's already April. This year, I think things seem particularly weird because we're, what, like a year and a couple weeks, a year and a month into COVID times. Life is still not totally back to normal, so time still feels a little bit more weird than it usually does. But yeah, it's already April. Passover and Easter have already happened. Happy Easter, by the way, to everyone who celebrated. I hope it was meaningful. And of course, happy Passover to everyone who celebrated. Also, I hope it was meaningful. Hopefully, if you celebrated Passover, you got to hear one or both of the Passover episodes that I did. And hopefully something that I said helped to make your Passover more meaningful than usual. The seders that I went to or that my family hosted were probably amongst the most meaningful satyrs ever, or at least the conversation was much more involved and interesting than usual. We didn't just go around reading from the Haggadah. We actually asked questions and talked about things that were interesting to all of us. So it was different, but it was good. Anyway, so last time we talked, last two times we spoke, it was all about Passover, And there's been a lot on my mind since then. So I'm going to take a leaf out of Thomas Sowell's book. He used to write these articles called Random Thoughts on the Passing Scene, where he'd just write a sentence or two about different topics, different issues, questions he had, thoughts he had. And they were just quick and thought-provoking. I'm going to do something similar today because it just feels like it's been so long and I have so much to talk about with you and to share with you. So I don't know that I'm going to go too deeply into anything today. I might. We'll see how sidetracked I get on any one particular topic. 
I just have a few things on my mind. Some of them are questions, some of them are thoughts, some of them are opinions, because I have opinions on things. And as mentioned, if you have thoughts and opinions on anything I say today, feel free to share it on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to hear. So the last few days, I've been dealing with the government and trying to figure out health insurance for me and my husband. And it's been a mess and confusing, and no one knows what's going on. And every time I call, I get a different person at the call center who tells me something different. And it's very annoying. But I have a little bit of an internal struggle going through the government for health insurance, because I don't think that the government should be involved in providing health insurance for the vast majority of people. There are a few people who really need the government's help. And in that case, I think it's okay that the government steps in. But for the vast majority of us, and thank God, I do think my husband and I fall into that category, we don't really need the government's help. On the other hand, I pay taxes and the services here to help get subsidies. So I'm a little bit conflicted inside. And I think it's okay to be conflicted. I don't think we have to have all the answers to everything. I think it's okay to change our mind about things and to come to conclusions and figure things out as we're going along. But this is where I am right now. And I, But this is where I am right now. I'm conflicted, but I am going to go through the government because they do offer subsidies. And health insurance is expensive. And if it's going to be there and if I'm going to pay taxes, I am going to take advantage of it. I don't think that's being hypocritical, but maybe it is. I don't know. Anyway, that's been that's been on my mind, my personal involvement in it. But I also have to say the whole issue of government being involved in health insurance has been on my mind. First of all, to clarify something which I think people get confused about, conservatives are okay when the government helps people. In the Constitution, the government is supposed to promote the general welfare. That's a broad statement. But there are people whose welfare the government has to take care of, people who are at very low points in their lives, people who are perpetually poor, that small but existing group of people who are perpetually poor. In addition to taking care of the general country's defense, I do think that if there are people who don't have any community and don't have any family, it is incumbent upon the government to take care of them, both for the person's sake and also for the rest of the community's sake, that there are people not living on the streets, not mentally ill living on the streets or any other kind of illness living on the streets or in very bad conditions. It's okay for the government to help people like that. That's personally my opinion. Do I have to say personally my opinion? That might be redundant. Anyway, that is my opinion. But generally speaking, it's not that conservatives don't want people helped. It's that we are hesitant about the government being the entity involved in that help. Conservatives love nonprofits, Churches, synagogues, individuals, families, any of those groups helping people, we fully support and think there should be more of civic organizations, rotary clubs, things like that. That's, we want people taken care of. It's not that we want, God forbid, people dying on the streets, children going without food, without shelter. Of course not. The difference between conservatives and liberals in this case is who does the taking care for people on the left? They want the government to step in. For people on the right, we want individuals and communities and families to step in, and the government only when it's completely necessary, when there's no one else. Again, there are people at the very, very bottom who need the government's help, but for everyone else, 
It should be about community. And it should be about community, not just for those who need help, but for those doing the helping, because it, because then there's a personal connection. It's a back and forth. If someone helps me in my time of need and I get to see their face, then when someone else, either if that person then is in a time of need, I can pay it back to them or I can take what they did to me and pay it forward to someone else who needs help. So we're creating a sense of community. We're bonding with each other when we help each other in our times of distress. When we just have the government to turn to and we don't think to turn to our neighbors and our neighbors don't turn to us, it just ever so slightly not even drives us apart. It just makes us think that we don't need each other, but we do. We need the people around us and it's good for the giver and it's good for the recipient when charity and help and support can come from the actual people around you, not the government. Not to mention, do you really think someone in D.C. knows what you in Boise, Idaho really means? Or someone in Houston needs? Even do you really think that your city official in Houston knows exactly what you need? Unlikely, because they have a lot to deal with. A lot of different issues, a lot of people. Whereas if you go to your church or synagogue or non-denominational, non-religious rotary club or whatever the thing is, they can actually get to know you and know your specific needs and really know how to help you, not just a government program that gives you $500 a month for groceries. Well, maybe you don't need $500 a month for groceries. Maybe what you need is someone to teach you how to market your pie baking business because you're really good at baking pies, but you just don't quite know how to get it off the ground. And when we work with each other, we can get that kind of personalized care. So again, Conservatives want to help people, we want to help children, we want to help immigrants, we want to help men and women, old, young, everyone. We want to help the people who need help, but we want to do it. We don't want to relegate it to the faceless government bureaucracy. And trust me, if you've ever had to deal with government bureaucracy, you understand why we don't want to leave it to government bureaucracy, because they're annoying. And anytime there's a middleman, it's annoying, which is why... Let's take a step back from the world we exist in for a second to examine this. Why do our employers give us health insurance? Okay, I know why they give us health insurance. It's an added incentive, and it comes from a time when employers couldn't pay more, so they gave other incentives. But do we really want our employer involved with our health insurance? Most of us don't have our employers involved with our homeowner's insurance or our auto insurance, so why are they involved with our health insurance? It's just one more added step. Instead of going directly to Kaiser or directly to Anthem Blue Cross, first through our employer, it's one of those things that we're used to, so we don't question it. But if we take a step back, it's a little weird, right? Anyway, it feels weird to me that our employer would have anything to do with our health insurance. Again, they don't give us food, our employers. They don't give us other kinds of insurance, usually. I mean, vision and dental, but that's all wrapped up in health. So why health insurance? Yes, to incentivize, but it also keeps you at a job because you need health insurance or your family needs health insurance and it's hard to leave a job that has good benefits. And then you might be stuck somewhere that you dread, but you go there just for the benefits. Then the employer has an employee who's not really putting in 100%, but is there just for the benefits. So it doesn't work out for the employee or the employer. And maybe this is one of the problems that Obamacare was trying to fix by making it so that people could get health insurance through the government instead of through the employer, so they're not tied to the employer, which is admirable. That is something to fix. 
But the government is just another middleman. Instead of having another middleman, let's just go directly to the providers. It's so much less bureaucracy and paperwork and verifying your address and all of these things. It's so much easier. When you buy a shirt, you go to the store and you buy a shirt. When you buy auto insurance, you go online to Geico and you buy auto insurance. Why do we think health insurance should be any different? The only reason I can think of is because often health insurance and health care are conflated, but they're not the same thing. Health care are the doctors and nurses and surgeons who take care of you and the work they do on your body, and health insurance is the money that helps to pay for that. It's like our auto insurance. If, God forbid, we get into an accident, we're paying for insurance so that we can have help paying for the fixes. But the mechanic who does the fixes, that's the auto care. He's not the insurance. So auto care and auto insurance are two different things. Health care and health insurance are two different things. Health care is the surgeon who does the surgery. Health insurance is the company helping you to pay for that. So if ever people are making an argument about health insurance and conflating it with health care and saying conservatives don't want to give people health care or anything like that, Number, health care and health insurance are different. That's number one. Number two, people say health care is a right. Here's the thing. I understand why people say that. Because life is the most important thing we have. And something to help us sustain our lives and keep them long and healthy is super important. But health care, as mentioned before, is what the doctors, nurses, surgeons, etc. do for you. It's their work. And their work, unfortunately, can't be a right. It can't be something we have a right to because it's their time. It's their effort. It's their education. We all know doctors and nurses go to school for a very long time. We don't have a right to their work and their time. If it were up to me, every person who needed the best heart surgeon in the world would go to the best heart surgeon in the world. But the best heart surgeon in the world only has 24 hours in his day as much as we only have 24 hours in our days. He can only help so many people. Now, whether he should help people based on who can pay or through a lottery system, I guess theoretically he could make that choice. Maybe he decides whoever can pay the most because his time is precious. And that's what happens when you have a commodity that you can charge an amount for it. And if it's a more limited commodity, you can charge more. Now, there are a lot of amazing doctors who do a lot of volunteer work too, but we don't have a right to someone else's work. So even though we want healthcare to be a right, it's not. And health insurance for sure isn't a right because auto insurance isn't a right because again, insurance and healthcare are not the same thing. Figuring out systems to help people get healthcare who really need it, because obviously there are people who can't afford it, but just because someone can't afford it doesn't mean they shouldn't have access to some kind of care. We wanna help people all of us do. I'm sure everyone listening, we all want to help people. Just because conservatives don't want government involved in something doesn't mean that we don't see that there's a problem or that we don't want it fixed. It just means we don't think government is the best way to do it. How to have quality health care for all people is not an easy answer. It's an important issue to talk about, and there are a lot of different ideas and things to figure out because Maybe that's the goal. Maybe the goal is good healthcare for all people. Okay, so we have a goal, but we have different ways to get there, and it's not going to be easy. 
Just because we want something to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. And sorry, folks, you can't just say government fix it and expect the government to fix it. The government is just made up of humans like you and me. And and that means there are different opinions and different ideas. And there are already so many rules and there's bureaucracy that government has to work with. We want quick fixes to issues in life. And there just aren't always quick fixes. And it sucks. But that's the world that we live in. Anyway, so all of that health insurance, healthcare stuff has been on my mind because of my own fun journey through the bureaucracy. I don't recommend it. If you're going to take a vacation, go to Vegas. Anyway, in other news, Major League Baseball decided to move the All-Star Game out of Atlanta because there's a new voting law in Georgia that's racist and terrible and trying to limit people from voting. I'm not going to talk about the law because I really don't, I really try not to get too political on the show. You know that this was just, this was really just a jumping off point for cancel culture, kind of. I suggest everyone just read what the law actually says and not what pundits are saying about it. That's usually the best way to know things is to go directly to the source and not to what people are saying about it. But my issue here is Major League Baseball canceling the game. Quick side note, though, I know one of the issues with voter ID laws is that people think that people of color aren't capable of getting IDs or registering to vote properly. And I just would suggest that if you're one of the people who think that people of color are less capable than white people of getting IDs and registering to vote and do normal human adult things, you might want to question your own biases. Because if you think people, because if you think people of color aren't as capable as white people, I'm not saying you're racist because I don't like to throw that label around and I'm not suggesting that you're racist, but you just might want to examine your thoughts. That's all. Side side note, because I know there's some contemplation of people being required to carry proof of their vaccination for COVID-19. Is that going to disproportionately affect people of color? Are they also going to be less capable of getting their proof of vaccination card? I mean, I don't think so. I feel like capable people are capable people no matter what their melatonin count is. But if the argument's being made in terms of voting, then I would think the same argument should be made in terms of people not being able to attend events because they can't get an ID card. Just a thought. Oh, and side, side, side note, how come we have to show proof of a vaccine for COVID-19? How many other vaccinations do you have to show proof of? When you go to school, like in kindergarten or first grade, you have to show that you've gotten chicken pox and things like that. And in college, at least to live in the dorms you do, at least I did, I don't know, maybe that's a state by state thing. And it might only have been because I lived in the dorm. So it might've been just for students in general. Like how many times has an employer or a volunteer organization or anything that you've done asked for proof that you got the chickenpox vaccine? So why is COVID-19 different? Just a question. Just wondering. Anyway, back to the MLB. So they moved the game out of Atlanta because this Georgia law is supposedly racist or something like that. And yes, it's annoying that sports are political because can you just play baseball and can we just have one thing in this country that we can all like unite about? Can we just play baseball? I'm not saying baseball players, if they want to take to Twitter and tweet about whatever, if they want to you know, support any political campaign, obviously they're individuals. They should be able to do and support whomever they want. But 
Can baseball just be baseball? Can football, basketball, can these just be sports? Can movies just be movies and plays and music? Like, why is everything political? It's so annoying. We just want an escape and everyone's talking about unity, but we're not going to unify if we are talking about politics all the time. Anyway, so it's very annoying. But it got me to thinking about cancel culture a little bit. So here are my thoughts on cancel culture. Stop canceling people. If you don't like something, change the channel. If there's a song that comes on that you don't like, you change the channel. If it's a movie you don't like, you change it. If there's a store that you don't support, you don't go to it. It's very easy. You don't have to stop other people from doing what they're doing. If you don't like it, you just don't go to it. I think about this all the time because I'm a big button changer when it comes to song. If a song comes on that I don't like, if it's the first note, I am changing that dial. I am not sticking around to listen to a song I don't like. It's the same thing. If someone says something, if someone does something that you don't totally like, you don't have to cancel them, get rid of them. Also, who are you to get rid of someone to say, oh, I don't like them, so we should be done with them? Like, narcissist much? No, just ignore them. Also, the more you try to cancel someone, the bigger they get, kind of, right? Like, how many people have heard of Morgan Wallen, who didn't listen to country music, until people tried to cancel him? And now people listen to him, and he was trending number one on, like, iTunes or Spotify for a while. And Gina Carano, right, who was some random actress on The Mandalorian. I've never watched The Mandalorian. My parents never not watched The Mandalorian. If you're not into Star Wars and you don't have Disney+, Plus, you weren't watching The Mandalorian. But now you're obsessed with Gina Carano because people said that she was a terrible person and conservatives support her because she's not a terrible person. The point is, if you don't like something and you want it to go away, the better thing to do is to ignore it because when you cancel it, you're going to get all the people who support it supporting it even more. So cancel culture doesn't even really work. Change the dial, change the channel, move on. So I wondered, okay, the MLB says that Georgia has this law they don't like, so they're just moving on. They're moving the game from Atlanta to Colorado, I think. And it got me wondering, is that the appropriate way to cancel? Because you're avoiding. It's not canceling, they're avoiding. They don't want to be in Atlanta, they don't support Georgia, so they're moving away from Atlanta. And I think it does align a little bit better. You know, they're not trying to they're not canceling the all-star game. I guess it's, it's a little bit different. They can't cancel a city and they can't cancel a state. It exists. Like its physical existence is going to be there. The people are going to be there. So I thought about it. And even though it's more in line with what I think, because they're just avoiding the city within the state who has a law that they don't like, it's still weird. First of all, are there not other states that have laws? Like every state has so many laws. I bet that if the MLB was looking into it, they probably couldn't have a game in any state because there are so many laws every place is, I'm sure they'd find something objectionable, objectionable. or the players club would find something objectionable because that's a real issue here. I think it was at like players clubs and maybe different teams were making a big stink about it. So then the MLB made this whole big choice, but there is actually a team in Atlanta. So all the MLB had to say was, yes, Georgia is enacting this law, which has literally nothing to do with baseball, but there's a team in Atlanta, and they have a field, so we're going to play there. And, by the way, it's going to help the local community because the people who work there, who you're so concerned about with this Georgia law, probably a lot of people of color or other disadvantaged people, are going to be helped out because we're bringing our business there. So we're going to play baseball because it's baseball, and we're going to leave the politics to the politicians. But they didn't, and I feel like that's why, I mean, it's not quite within the realm of cancel culture. It's just annoying. Well, because it's kind of the same thing. They're making a whole big issue about this law, which, first of all, why, 
I know why this law is so in people's minds, but there are so many laws, people, all around the states. There are laws happening all the time. There are federal laws and state laws and city laws. Too many laws. But the point is, there are always laws happening. Why is the whole country up in arms about what one state's doing? Why is the MLB involved? Or why do they care? Just play baseball. If they hadn't made a stink, I mean, I guess they would have had to answer to their players or whatever. I don't know. It's just, can we just have fun? Like, for five seconds, can we just watch baseball and sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game and throw some peanuts on the ground and have fun? That's all I'm asking. Just just a little bit of fun. Okay, final thought for the day, taking it away from politics a little bit and back towards the ethical Jewish Bible-based stuff, which is what I really like to talk about. As you know, if you've been a listener for a while, I'm reading through Joseph Telushkin's Book of Jewish Values, which is a day-by-day guide to ethical living, and I really liked what was today's entry, and I wanted to share it with you. The question is, is your work meaningful? And it's a trick question, because the answer is everybody's work is meaningful, unless you are a pimp or a drug dealer, in which case your work is not meaningful and you should probably find a new profession. But for the rest of us who are bus drivers and lawyers and doctors and salesmen, insurance agents, waitresses, teachers, anything like that, your work is absolutely meaningful. Some jobs, it's a little bit easier to find the meaning. If you're a teacher, you're educating the next generation, helping to create informed, educated citizens who are kind and intelligent and involved in the world. If you're a doctor, you're healing people's bodies. If you're a lawyer, you're defending the innocent or you're prosecuting someone who's done wrong. Some jobs, it's easy to find the meaning. Some, it might be a little bit harder. For trash collectors, bus drivers, waitresses, salespeople at clothing stores, cashiers, anything like that that might feel mundane, it might be a little bit harder to find the meaning but it's there. Joseph Telushkin talks about a taxi driver and how a taxi driver has very meaningful work because he's the ferryman, he's the middleman helping people to get to the places they need to go. Maybe it's a young man about to propose to a woman or someone coming from the airport reuniting with her family after a while or someone rushing to the hospital to have a baby the people wouldn't be able to get where they were going without the taxi driver. So the taxi driver's work is meaningful. If someone sells clothes, this was another example. The person has the opportunity to help someone who's not so comfortable with how they look find something that makes them look great and that makes the person feel really good about themselves. I had a few examples too. For instance, a waitress. You're bringing food to people and giving them energy to face their day or you're creating a setting for friends and families to unite. If you're a trash collector, you're cleaning up the streets so that kids have a safe place to play without hazards. If you're a gardener, you're tending to God's earth and making it look beautiful. Every job has something meaningful. All the work we do has meaning, either in the way that we directly help others or in the way that we facilitate other people doing their own types of work. But it's all meaningful. We just have to find it. But if we find it, it's going to be so much easier to get up in the morning to go to work because we're not just going for a paycheck or for the health insurance benefits that our employer is providing us, but because we're doing something meaningful and purposeful in this world and that we're needed. Like without us, this thing wouldn't happen and this thing needs to happen to keep the world going, to keep the country going. 
That's a really incredible idea to keep in mind, a really incredible way to get through the workday and the work week. And it was very inspiring for me, so I wanted to share it with you. So thank you so much for listening. Like I said, I really missed you, but I can't wait till the next episode. Hopefully I'll see you on Instagram, Facebook, or Parlor or Locals. And as you're going through your very meaningful work today, now that you know it's very meaningful, I hope you find the meaning. If you haven't quite figured it out yet, you will. But as you're going through it, remember that we all have something that we can work on every day, no matter what work we have, no matter where we are. And that is, we can all be a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude Opus 10, number one in C major, known as the Waterfall Etude. <laughs>